And welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast for your culture to go. I'm Frank Cravello. He's Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing on this uh, Wednesday night? Where was it, right? We're still doing Wednesdays, man. That's, I'm, I'm actually kind of getting comfortable with it. We're in Champions and, League mode, so it's okay. Yeah, we might, and we yeah. might want to do the next couple Wednesdays with Champions League games still to try to filter through. So There you go. We might be uh, we might be settled in here on a, on a on a Wednesday night here for a little while, folks. So uh, so tune in and, and and sit back and enjoy it. But uh, it yeah, it's been a uh, it's been a good been a pretty good week. Uh, you know the 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 Calcio certainly no shortage of goals and and some bangers yeah. this time around. So yeah. uh, the uh, the Calcio gods were uh, good to us and gave us plenty of treats on the goal front. Um, the uh, some great games this you know this weekend Milan Atalanta was a you know certainly a pivotal game uh a reversal of fortunes for the two Roman sides uh and uh we have the Derby della Mole which uh was probably one of the more entertaining yeah. Um, oh, yeah. of their uh in their history uh so uh certainly a lot to like as far as that was concerned so there was a lot going on um I can uh officially declare to everybody here uh, because this is something that I have gotten some shtick for, uh, you know, over the years, Richard, uh, mm-hmm. you know, me being a Milan fan and then my son uh, getting into the Calcio streets and picking Juve as his team, uh, you know, back when he admired Dybala. <laughs> and then obviously that accelerated when Cristiano Ronaldo, but, you know, and it, 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 as the saying goes, he's a boy. He didn't know. Um, get, cut him some slack. So, uh <laughs> He, I can officially assert that, and I made this declaration in the chat on Monday night on Milan Weekly Podcast, uh, that my son is Milanisti. (laughs) So he he supports Milan now, and his reasons for uh, jumping off the Juve bandwagon and jumping on the Milan bandwagon is simple. I don't want to support a club that cheats. About so. damn time. Yeah. Father of the year right here. I love it. Love hey, it. Hey, you know, he came he came to his senses and <laughs> he came to his senses and he got on the good he 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 got with the good guys. So he says he's still gonna keep his Ronaldo Juve jersey. I don't care about that. That's fine. So I mean that full disclosure, I'm not afraid to admit I've got I've got Juve jerseys from the nineties. Uh Tucked away in my tucked away in my totes. Uh, to be fair, that Ronaldo jersey probably cost a pretty penny too, so you don't want to just throw it out, right? It's it's exactly. fiscally responsible. So <laughs> exactly, you know, mine mine's the uh, the Sony mini disc that had the mesh on the sides. Oh yeah, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yep. So that had the mesh on the sides, and it was at a time when they had that was back. That's when they had uh, Zidane and Del Piero and and Deschamps. You turned him to the devil. Shame my. <laughs> I'm glad you talked him off, Juventus. There I didn't really go. talk him off. I just told him the story of what was going on and why were they why they were docked 15 points. And he says, "Let just, me tell you the story about Calciopoli here, son. Sit on my lap." <laughs> yep, yep. And they said, "Well, he wasn't around for that." So, that's uh, you know. So, in any event, that uh, that's a happy occasion. And it was his birthday uh, yesterday. Well, sometime between yesterday and today, because he's a leap day baby. So, okay. Um, you know, so I thought I'd I'd share the news in the midst of that. Double ones for him. So. 
Um, and double down, uh, double down. Did your uh, your son? Uh, is that your son's first DC United game this weekend? Um, no, no. I, he's been actually he went when he was a baby. It was the first time him and I went alone. Uh, so yeah, we had a good time. We had a good time. It was freezing cold, frigid. It was in the low thirties in the game, but uh, he enjoyed the game. Late game, late start for the game there, but uh, he definitely enjoyed. Wants to go back. So that's a, that's a win in my column because anytime I can get him to like soccer slash football, that's a win. So uh, it's it's good. Good. You're raising him right. You're raising him right. So that's uh, that's the important part. So right. um, <clears throat> so we're getting into talking about our kids early here in the podcast because you can see we've got a pretty light show uh, for you here. We're going to go through match week 24 uh, in a batch. We understand that there were some important games there. We'll, we'll highlight those in pretty big detail. Uh, we also want to uh, uh, get into some conversation about uh, the stadium uh, situation in Milan. Mi- Milan <clears throat> has a, an idea of where they want to uh, have their stadium. Inter has an idea of where they want to have their stadium. I don't think either of them are telling the mayor of Milan where exactly they want to they want to uh, plot land here. So, and good for them. I wouldn't either because then you know the mayor of Milan will probably do something crazy like just take that land and do it for some other development, and then we're starting all over again. We- yep. That. He's done it before. He's done yep. it before. Uh, the Europa League and the Conference League draws. We'll just touch on that a little bit after uh, all. And, hey, we haven't been on since last Wednesday, Richard. All four teams from the Europa League and Conference League go through. All three Serie A teams hold an advantage uh, in the Champions League. So great time uh, to be a fan of the Calcio. Uh, as we say, and we'll uh, top it all off a little who won Calcio Twitter. And this week's who won Calcio Twitter, Richard, it's more quality than quantity. So not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. We only have four nominations, but I, I, you and I, I I think you know what mine's going to be. My pick is going to be, uh, but we will, uh, we won't spoil it for the uh, 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 the good people out there that are checking us out. Um, if you are watching us here live on the YouTube channel, check in with us in the chat. Let us know that you're there. Say hi. Do whatever you want. If you've got a question, drop a question. Um, drop a like. That's more important. Uh, and if you are watching for the first time and are not subscribed, hit that subscribe button um, and that notification bell because you'll always be uh, notified when we go live on the air. We just drop a random video. So... Um, Let's get on with it. We'll talk about match week 24. Everything began with Empoli and Napoli uh, on uh, Saturday. Um, Napoli winning 2-0. Uh, Ardiani Smiley with a own goal in the 17th minute. Victor Alcimen in the 28th minute. What else is new? Uh, scoring yet again and just running away with Capo Canonieri. Uh The win was soured a little bit by... Uh, Mario Rui uh, getting a straight red card uh, for violent conduct there in the 67th minute. It, it was originally a yellow, and they cha- they went to VAR and changed it. Uh, good use of VAR for you? Yeah, I mean, it, I've seen a lot more aggressive calls that weren't called. I can see why they gave them a red. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess good good use. I mean, anytime it's uh, a situation where it could be a suspect play, a suspicious play, you want to use it. So I think, yes, it was right as a right call to go to VAR. I don't necessarily agree with the call, but yeah, either way, Rui did it to himself. Yep, indeed. Um, so 2-0 there for Napoli uh, over Empoli. It was a uh, 
a homecoming of sorts there for the manager too, Luciano Spalletti. Uh, this was all Napoli though, 19 to nine on shots, six on target, uh, 54% possession. They controlled the game as we would expect. Uh, Lecce and Sassuolo. Um, it was uh, Sassuolo with possession. It was Lecce with a lot of the chances, but Lecce didn't have accurate enough shooting boots. 16 shots with none on target, Richard, yeah. uh, for Sassuolo. Uh, only three shots on target for Sassuolo, but lucky for them, one of them went in, and it was Christian Torsved who came on as a sub in the 61st minute. Four minutes later, he scores. He's played in by Domenico Berardi for the goal uh, to give Sassuolo a precious three points and pull them further and further away from the drop. They're getting safer as we go. They're on a nice little run here. Uh, Ten points in their last five matches, so certainly the kind of form that's going to pull you out of trouble. Uh, so Sassuolo getting the win away at Lecce, which is not easy to do. So uh, getting into Sunday's game, uh, Sunday's games, uh, Bologna away just seems to be a fixture that Inter lose every year. They did it again. Um, this time they did not have Radu and goal to blame. Yep. Uh, so uh, basically a generally balanced game here, Richard. Uh, but it was Bologna who would come away with the win. Ricardo Orsolini, man, this kid's in form, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, um, and uh, uh, he is the difference. And, boy, the job Tiago Mota is doing. You have inter, inter Twitter with pictures of Tiago Mota now saying, uh, make it happen. Uh, so, he did. He did. Yeah, he did. He made it happen. Uh, for his team, not so, for uh, his former team. Um, you know, if uh, if you can't beat him, make him your new coach, right? <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll see how that how that progresses and if that even progresses. But boy, very impressive uh, uh, job that Tiago Mota has done, bringing Bologna all the way to eighth uh, now uh, on a heck of a run here. Uh, in fact, uh, Salernitana and Monza a three nil win for Salernitana, a vital win for them in their bid to avoid the drop. Lasana Kulibali uh, with a goal of the week candidate there in the fifty second minute. Uh, beautiful curling goal there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, Grigoris Castanos in the 65th, Antonio Candreva in the 71st, uh, Giulio Donati with a deliberate handball there in the 87th minute, getting sent off. Uh, it was his, it was actually his second yellow and then getting sent yeah. off. Uh, so critical three points there for Salernitana and their bid to avoid the drop, as I said. Udinese and Spezia playing to a 2-2 draw. Uh, precious point here for Udinese. Uh, the scoring opens with Mbala and Zola. Uh, it is matched by Beto in the 22nd minute. Uh, second half, Roberto Pereira uh, played in by Sandy Lovrich uh, in the 55th minute. Lovrich is going to probably end up finding some work at a better club here soon. He should. Uh, yep. Uh, and then Enzola bracing in the 72nd minute. Uh, here, uh, making it 2-2. And then the last game on Sunday was Milan and Atalanta. And talk about making somebody look ordinary. That is exactly what Milan did in a 2-0 win uh, over Ladea. It started with an own goal by Juan Musso, but let's face it, that was a cracker there by uh, Teo Hernandez. Would have been in the conversation for the goal of the week if it didn't hit off of Musso's ass and go in. Uh, but nonetheless, it was an own goal. Uh, and then the game is sealed in the 86th minute. Uh, Junior Messias from Leao uh, to win the game 2-0. Uh, 
This Milan defense now, Richard, this is another level. This is an Atalanta team we're talking about that have the attackers, that have the power. They have 42 goals in 24 games, and they only had three shots in this game. Zero uh, on with, target. With none on target. Uh, comfortable as it can be for Mike Mignon and his return. I assume that's where you want to start here out of these six games. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. <clears throat> Milan's defense has been playing a lot better over the last whatever games that, that Malik Chow has started, right? But it's funny, and I remember uh, Serga Doing on Twitter mentioned this. Like, the, funny the impact that one person, Mike Magnon, has. He comes into the lineup, and this team is back to playing stellar defense all of a sudden. Yep. Um, they're playing a high line. They're willing to take chances. What At least what I saw is the back three were very complimentary of each other. They were able to rotate position to confuse the attack for Atalanta as well. So mm-hmm. Malik Chow was mostly in the center with, with uh, Tamori and Kalul on either side primarily. But, I mean, stellar defensively, give up nothing. Allowed Teo Hernandez to, to push up and not only push up, but play like more a centralized role, which we rarely see him play. Um, you saw good combination work between Leao and Giroud early on that, you know, we nearly had a couple goals by both of them. They both most missed the goals, but... A team performance, team defensively, this is one of the best performances we've seen in a while defensively from them. I mean, to hold a team like Atalanta to zero shots on goal, um, the impact that Mike Magnon brings instantly gives Milan a an advantage going into their Champions League encounter in the second leg with, with Tottenham. Yep. But I can't say enough things about what Malik Chow has done since he's arrived, and then Kalulu and Tamori as a, as a three-man pairing uh, just played so well. They got the pace, and I understand why they went with those three because, you know, Atalanta have pace on the attack, especially Hoyland. Hoyland's a fantastic guy. Lookman is very fast as well. Bolga, when he comes off the bench, is fast. And all three of those guys can keep up with him for the most part, you know, especially Kalulu and Tamori. Uh, but Malik Chow is not <clears throat> is no slouch either. So excellent performance overall. Uh, and, yeah, it's a, it, it's a statement by Milan saying, hey, don't forget about us. We're, mm-hmm. we're still going to be there for the second place, you know, hunt. Maybe not Scudetto, but second place. We're Probably for there. second, yeah. Don't get crazy here. <laughs> As much as I'd love to see it, um, I think that okay. If you if you follow SofaScore for ratings, I'm going to just give you friendly advice and say follow someone else for ratings. Uh, they give Olivier Giroud a six point three, which I thought was ridiculous, and I think the six point three really beca- comes because he should have scored twice in this game. Yes, um, he had great chances, and you know they're very harsh on big chances missed for whatever reason, uh, and then they don't look at the balance of the game. But you know we talked about at the beginning of the transition to this 3-4-2-1 setup that the player that was struggling the most with it was Olivier Giroud in terms of making some adjustments, in terms of movement off the ball, where he positions himself, how he plays off of things and stuff like that. This was by leaps and bounds his best game since the switch to that formation and now a matter of time before uh, the goals come with a little more frequency. Yeah, and I think what also we're seeing is that not only Olivier Giroud adapted to this new formation, I think we've seen Leao starting to wake up. And maybe, I mean, he had, maybe he's not getting the goals, but he surely got an assist, right? Uh, Junior Messias missed a, a wide open goal, basically. I think I think this is the best game I've seen from Leao in terms of good plays versus errors. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he kind of cleaned up the errors in this game. He, he, I think he, he and Giroud had really good chemistry early on, um, and he was finding him. They're finding each other. And uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, Leao was doing well, and then and Giroud, well, he missed a couple of easy goals. He kind of set up the Teo goal that you know the Musa own goal, whatever, with a beautiful header back. 
a good hold-up play, good vision as well. Not only trying to find Leal, but he, you know, finding um, Diaz and, and and other guys uh, that made the attack as well. So good game for both those players, and I think uh, you're going to start seeing both of them start playing more and more, uh, much you know, much better. And when when Mike Magnon's back, it's just infectious for the whole team to just start playing better all of a sudden because there's one less worry they have to have now because they got a goalie that can stop everything. So. Uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's a trend with up trend upwards with Milan, and a lot of credit's got to go to Pioli because, you know, said if he can come out of this, Milan tend to when they go on these little these regressive streaks, um, they come out and they come out with long winning streaks or long you know, unbeaten streaks, and this could be the beginning of it. It's what five games now, four games now in a row. So uh, look out for them and look out for Inter uh, and anybody else trying to challenge for that second spot because um, Milan mean business and are getting back into the groove of it just in time for. Uh, Second league, second leg of Champions League. So, yeah, indeed. Last question on Milan because I want to get to these other games. Yeah. Um, do you go to Tottenham and try to play a high line like they did today against Atalanta, or do you try to do do you drop off and let them come? You know what? Um, I don't. I don't like the. For, I don't ever like going anywhere unless you have one of the world worldly defenses that Milan doesn't have. That's all the time you drop back and try to say, hey, bring Butch, you got we'll play on the counterattack. And maybe Inter can get away with it, right? I want to see Milan play with, you know, somewhat of a high line. They got to be smart about this, right? They got to watch who they got because, I mean, the, the three man attack or even four man attack that, that Spurs have is lethal on the counter. So you got to be, you have to be wary of that. But playing the three that they played in this last game, having Teo on the left and, and then, um, who do they have on the right? Maybe even Salamakers on the right. I probably have Salamakers in that game against. Spurs. I would play Salamakers on uh, against Spurs if he's available. Purely in his work 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 rate. Um, I think what you have is a chance that you can bring all five of those guys back and really shut up shop, have Mike Magnon there as, as comfort, and then play on the counterattack and play fast and play play with the high line at times. But they got to be smart in that game. But uh, yeah, why not? I don't like. I just don't like playing all out defense if you don't have the the defense like a Juventus had maybe you know several years ago with with BBC. So um, don't play with fire. I say I say just play your normal game. And it'll come. Now let me ask you. Let me ask you. Actually, I'm going to ask one more question because mm-hmm. this this is kind of this is kind of important here as it pertains to Milan with the game coming up against uh, Fiorentina. Um, I believe Leao suspended. Yes. Um, yes. Who plays on the left? This was kind of debated a bit here on Milan Weekly Podcast on Monday. I said in the chat, I think it should be Rebic if he's available. Um, I don't think we're ready for. Dekatelare and Diaz in the same lineup together. So, um, but uh, what do you think? Who are they playing again? Uh, Fiorentina. Um, honestly, I would say, I mean, I would rather have a fresh Rebic for the Champions League counter. So I say roll the dice, go with Dekatelare. And if he's not doing well, pull him out of halftime or something like that. I yeah. would rather have a, a fresher Rebic for the Champions League because you will need him if things get dicey. Uh, he's yeah. that he's that kind of player that you need. And so why not roll? Give Dikat a lot of chance. He's played a lot better over the last several weeks. He's been getting closer and closer to the goal. He's starting getting confidence now. You saw that in the game where he came on as a substitute last game. Try to go one on one in the box. That's what we want to see at least. If you're not gonna, I mean, he had the obvious pass to Zlatan, but confidence tells me he's trying to go one on one against the defender. And we saw that he didn't get it, but he went after it. So he's getting better. And I give him a chance. Give him some minutes. Uh, see what he can do, and hey, worst case scenario, he doesn't do well. You bring on Rebic. Best case, he scores a goal and gets confidence, and then you got another talented player you can uh, add to the mix there. So, play him. Let's go crazy. Yeah, and the silver lining to Leal being suspended for Fiorentina is he'll be fresh for Tottenham. So, um, let's look at some of these other games. I mean, 
inter. Hmm. What I mean, Eduardo. What is it about going to the Delara? I mean, it's it's. Uh, I just I, I'm you know it's 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 mystifying. Or maybe Bologna is just pretty good now, and probably need to have a little bit more respect for what they've been able to uh, uh, been able to do here in recent times. Uh, they. Yeah, I'm probably being a little harsh. Bologna won two one last year, obviously, as the game with Radu, and that probably cost into the yeah. title. You know, Inter narrowly won at Bologna in 2021. Um, that was actually on their way to the Scudetto, um, and then two uh, one. So I, I, you know, probably being a little bit harsh here. Some narrow scraps here, but for the second straight year, they lose at Bologna. Um, <clears throat> Is this was this a poor Inter or was this a good Bologna? A um, little bit of both. I tend to give more credit to Bologna than 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 screaming at Inter. Uh, the rain certainly didn't help Inter in anything any situation there. Um, I just think Bologna wanted it more, and it's a it's a cheesy cliche you'll hear in sports, but I think it was a fact. I think of the two teams, it was a fairly balanced matchup. But what we saw, the most dangerous plays came from Bologna. Um, yep. Onana came up big in this game. I, you know, if, I, again, if Onana isn't in goal, you probably see a couple more goals conceded. Um, Inter had their moments for sure. They had some slip ups, like Chilinolo had a wide open chance in front of the goal where he slipped and, and ball goes over to, over the bar. A couple other instances like that. Skorupski, you know, he had to make some saves as well. But I'm going to give credit to Bologna because I think they they they're on a, they're on a roll right now. Orsolini's hot at the moment. Tiago Moto has brought this team. We have said for years with this team, they're talented but massively underachieving, right? Them, Fiorentina, and a couple others, right? And finally, yeah. Tiago Mota is getting the best out of his men. Even without without Arnatovic, they're looking really well, right? Musa Barra scored a goal early in the game and got taken away uh, because of I think it was offsides it was or something. I can't remember. Um, yeah. They look good. They look good. They're not reliant on one person, which is Arnautovic. They're figuring out how to play. They're playing as a team. They're playing well on the counterattack, and they caught Inter. They really did. And uh, that Orsolini goal was a, was a great example of it. It's a counterattack. Uh, everyone thinks they're going to Musabara on the left-hand side, and you see Orsolini cutting up the middle, and he finds a perfect pass to him. I mean, granted, it's a great, great play by the defender to give it to him. Uh, and he took it in stride and slammed it home. And so you got to give Bologna credit and Tiago Moto credit for getting this game playing perfect in this game. Inter had their moments, and they certainly, you know, they had they, they could have scored themselves. But I think of the two two teams, the way they performed this game, I think Bologna deserved to win in this game. And um, you know, everyone's saying that oh, yo, Inter's gonna run away with the second place position. Like they're tied in points right now, so like they're struggling at the moment. Uh, yeah. And people want to blame Inzaghi, and I get it, but not all of it's on Inzaghi. Some of it's on the players, and also don't forget about the opponents. That's all I'm saying. Barrow created a lot of discomfort for the back three uh, for for Inter, obviously with the work that Orsolini did as well. Um, But then I also think that uh, low key, a couple guys that I thought were really good on the pitch were uh, first of all, Yerdy Scouten in the midfield um, covering ground and and, and being able to blow things up. Uh, And, and John Lukumi is let's I'll say this about him. I mean, when he first when he first came into this team at Bologna, you watch him play, and you're just like, there's not a whole lot to like about him. It's he's yeah. kind of mad, but I think he's he's playing um, a lot more comfortably. Uh, and then also having Joaquin Souza next to him, 
uh, as the center back pairing there, it's been it's been solid. You know, those guys had to cope with Romelu Lukaku and Rulatar Martinez uh, and did their jobs. Um, you know, I mean, Romelu Lukaku and Martinez as a combination, they're going to get their chances. They're not going to go the entire game without without creating things for themselves, each other, and for teammates. But um, they they were held here, you know, and I think that Lukumi and, and Souza didn't overplay this game, and they just they, – they made the – a, a combination like Lukaku and Latara, what I'm trying to say here is they they made it hard for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not going to completely shut those two guys down. They're going to get their chances. But if you can make it difficult for them, you're going to give yourself a chance. And I think that they get a lot of credit for uh, their part in Bologna's win. And I think Gosen's played really well as also for for Inter. However, mm-hmm. like to your, to your point, I think. What we saw is, yes, we knew those guys were going to get their chances. However, Bologna put, applied so much pressure to the inter attackers that it forced them to make the passes just slightly off. Lukaku cut out a couple of chances where the ball was just slightly behind him. He took the shot, but, you know, Skorupski's there to make the save. And we kept seeing the passes just slightly off. And that's all to, due to the pressure that Bologna's defense created against Inter, forcing them to kind of rush these plays. Same thing with the Chalonudo play I mentioned earlier. Uh, it just little things like that really... And that all goes down to the to coaching, right? That's uh, Tiago Tiago Mota really saying this is when we press. This is the time to press, and uh, I think Bologna nailed it defensively and and really deserved his victory. Yep. Um, Napoli, I mean, they're just making it look way too easy right now. I mean, it's this is borderline astonishing. I mean, we're saying this about Napoli and we're saying this about a Luciano Spalletti managed team, and we've said this. You said this last week, you know, that, that, that many people have said this, that, you know, this is by far the most talented team Spalletti's had, Yeah. Um, you know, which is, which is part of the equation. Um, do you get concerned about a level of complacency? I think they win the tie. I'm not saying that they're going to fall back to the chasing pack. There's no chance, but um, do you see a, We'll answer that question here in a minute, Fitcom. Um, do you see a scenario where some complacency sets in that just becomes a bad habit that that carries over to their Champions League prospects? Because I think when I would look at all of these Champions League teams, I think they're live for even reaching the final. Um, you know, I, why not them, right? Uh, but does the complacency from a big lead in the league start to set in and those kind of things carry over, uh, you know, to their Champions League form? I mean, we've seen it for Bayern for so many years, right? They've had super teams that blew away their leagues. Um, and unless your team is managed by Jupp Heinkes or Hansi Flick, you don't finish the job uh, because of that complacency. And uh, this game against Empoli... You know, yes, they won fairly comfortably, but I think there were moments in the game where they were place and Empoli had a little bit too much possession, had to create a little bit, a couple opportunities under on the, on the, that put Moret under the, the uh, duress. But for the most part, it was comfortable, it was easy. Uh, my fear with Napoli is that they continue to pull away, they clinch the, the league fairly early, and then are, are feel like they, you know what, we won, let's just play the youngsters or play a rotation get out of our groove, and then when the Champions League come, not able to turn it back on because that has happened with majority teams yeah. uh, in, in Champions League, the ones that try to go for the deep runs. Uh, and so my thing is like Spalletti's job, I mean, the title is all but guaranteed at this point. 
Um, he has to find a way to keep the team hungry, whether it's using the Champions League as as the as a as the goal or whatever. Has to keep them playing almost full starting eleven and with that intensity heading into Champions League. Because again, if they if they start slacking off and letting and letting and they'll probably earn it right the slack off. But if they start letting a rotation happen and youngsters play, they will get out of the groove for Champions League and they will have an early exit, early exit than we you know that we think because it's a talented team that should go deep. Uh, yeah. But complacency is a bitch, and it's gotten the best of teams in Europe. So yep. be wary. To answer your question, I'm going to say match week 35. I think they clinch it with three games to go. I think match week 30. Um, but I don't. That's not, that's not using math at all. That's not using math at all. What's with it? With eight games to go, they're going to be. So you think that may, basically means you think at, by mat, at the end of match week 30, they will be 25 points clear of second. They could. They could. They could. The teams in the, the teams below them have all been so inconsistent. Now, granted, Milan are on, on fire at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and Roma and Lazio are there. Juventus is coming up. Atalanta, Atalanta, and Inter have been eh, right? Uh, but it's it's possible. The way these inconsistent these teams have been inconsistent, it is possible. They're eighteen points at the moment in match week twenty four. Yeah, it, it's possible. Six weeks to go, anything's possible. So, magic number is eighty nine points. They're currently on sixty five. So to get to eighty nine. That would be match week 32, which is okay. uh, what Anthony said. Okay. I'm going to say 35. I think they come back just a little bit. Um, but I, I don't think they come they, – they clearly won't come back enough. And by the end of match week 35, there's still maybe a 10 or 11-point lead uh, over second. And – they can cruise through their last three match weeks. If they come out of this run right here with you know Lazio, Atalanta, Milan, and whoever it is at the third match, um, and they win all three game, all four games, I mean it doesn't matter at that point, right? I mean mathematically we know the thirty-two or whatever it is uh, mathematically, but I mean there's no chance anybody's coming back. I mean if anyone's going to come back at this moment, it's going to be one of the you know one of the big clubs, you know Milan or Inter. Um, but I don't see that at all. If they make it, if they make it within ten points, I'd be surprised. Honestly, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with it. I'm. You know, but I, I think it's like I said. I, I think it gets to thirty-five. I think that they they play some different people. They try to keep some people fresh. They drop some points. They you know um, here and there. You know, but just because they're going to have the luxury to do so. But you you see that complacency though in any sport. I mean, you can. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily would not necessarily call Gonzaga a complacent college basketball team. They just, they have a great team. They just, they play in a conference where there's maybe one other decent team Uh, and they steamroll through that and they have to play the majority of their season against teams like that. And then when it turns, turns on and goes to the tournament and has to play somebody with a pulse, they, you know, more often than not, they get bounced earlier than everybody expects. So, you know, it's, there is kind of that syndrome, an NFL team that, clenches the division and home field advantage. And then they just coast over the last few weeks because they don't want to get any, anybody hurt. And then the first round of the divisional playoffs, they go out to the wildcard team that got hot at the right time. Well, so, I would even say like, look at the Patriots in 2007, right? They went undefeated uh, and they had complacently at the end of the season where they started barely winning games. And it came yeah. down to the final game. A team was hungry and they beat them. Yeah. Complacency. So it happens against yeah. the best of us. And so, so to, in, in short, Napoli's worst enemy right now is themselves. You know, yes. we're going to get to a, a who won Calcio Twitter uh, entry that kind of, you know, where we can sit there and say that Napoli's biggest rival is themselves at this point. 
Um, you know, and I think that that's probably the best way uh, to describe that. Um, we had some bottom half games, uh, bottom games featuring some bottom half teams, Richard, within this, and we can probably put them all in a nice little bundle here. Uh, we talked about the critical win here for Sassuolo. Uh, getting Domenico Berardi back into the fold was a big help. Um, you know, Lecce dropping points again. Uh, I don't think they have to be terribly concerned. I think they put on a pretty uh, good campaign. I saw some very good shouts today on Twitter. Uh, Michael Lisi among them talking about Falcone maybe being one of the three best goalkeepers in Serie A this season. Um despite not getting it over the line here against Sassuolo this week. And then Salernitano with a critical three points against Monza. Um, you know, so some of these teams, uh, and then Spezia even grabbing a point at Udinese, some of these teams that could be relegation threatened. If we're talking about Hellas Verona possibly getting out, Sampdoria pulling off some kind of miracle, um, the teams that would be the most threatened came away with points uh, this weekend that could prove huge. Yeah, the only ones that didn't get points were uh, Hellas, right? Um, I think uh, Sassuolo did well in their game. I think Lecce was certainly the team that w- put the onus on the attack more than anybody else, more than more than Sassuolo did. They just couldn't get it on dang target. Um, and Sassuolo <clears throat> took advantage of it and got the win. Uh, and then with Salernitano, what we saw is, again, you, you, we mentioned Falcone being one of the best goalkeepers of the league. Ochoa, second half of the season, has been one of the best goalkeepers in the league as well. Yeah. Really helping Salernitana kind of get away from the, the relegation spots. Um, came a huge in this game. Um, they got some good players in there as well. I mean, Koulibaly is a player who's quietly been very good. Castano has had a nice, really nice goal there. Kandreva has always been the, the player who always seems to do well no matter where he goes, right? Uh, and this is not a, a, a bad Monza team. It's a team that's been pretty hot. They went, what, a, eight, nine games in a row before they lost to Milan. And so um, it's still a pretty good team. And Salernitana needed this win, and they got it. Give them a little cushion there, and then... Spezia, yeah, they the little engine that could. They, they're fighting. They're fighting against Udinese. Udinese had the lead. Um, and Zola is quietly, you know, a player that should be mentioned with some of the best players in the league this year. I mean, eleven mm. goals on a, on a lowly Spezia team is pretty impressive, right? Yeah. Um, only a couple of guys have more goals than him, and these are and there's a, I'm talking about Lukman and and obviously Osiman. Um, so and Zola deserves a lot of credit for Spezia's play and and staying out of relegation. How long can they survive that? I don't know, but they got the point. It's a big point against against Udinese. So uh, kudos to them at the bottom there. The teams, like you said, that needed the points, they got it outside of Hellas. So I was thinking about okay, if Enzola moves on from Spezia and stays in City, I, we always like to do this with players. Mm-hmm. You know, we you know whether they're in a you know, whether an Italian player in another league. We talked about this with Jorginho, and apparently he's going to be at Arsenal for a while now. Um, if he was to find where would he where would he be a great fit at his next destination? The obvious answer, and I'll I'll go first on this. The obvious answer would be a reunion with Italiano at Fiorentina. Oh, okay. um, you know, I mean, Cabral now starting to score again for Fiorentina is helping them. Uh, yeah, between you know Monday's game, which we'll talk about, and then also um, uh, his performances in the in the uh, Conference League too. So that would be a good one. Um, I, I wouldn't hate to see him at Milan, uh, with his power, with his pace and, you know, and things like that and bringing in, bringing a totally different dynamic. Milan's already got so much invested into strikers right now that, that they, that they just couldn't probably couldn't afford it without weakening another position. Um, I would say out of this, you know, I would say Fiorentina would be the, 
would be it would be amazing to see a reunion with Italiano. The other, the only other place I would probably see is Roma, but mm. Roma have Bellotti and well, not Bellotti. I mean, I'm talking not, not like Bellotti, Torino Bellotti. Yeah, no, no. Abraham and then Bellotti. So, if he was to stay in Serie A, where would you where would you like to see him make his next move? I mean, obviously, a place like Milan would be good for a guy like him or Beto, right? Uh, just because mm-hmm. uh, what they can bring there, but I mean. I, I hear your Roma shot, and I don't. I don't hate that. I think as a backup to Abraham would be good. Um, look on the other side of the city. I think Lazio is also a good option too. I mean, Immobile is obviously the main guy, but they he can't do it all. And it'd be good to have some some depth on that team. Imagine if they could figure out a way to get two strikers in that system with the wing backs, the wings that they have, and you know Luis Alberto and, and SMS. Um, another team I would think is you know. <clears throat> And this is not a team that's in the top six, but you know, you mentioned Fiorentina, and I'm going to go Bologna. Mm-hmm. Arnautovic, he is probably due for a move to the Premier League anytime soon or somewhere else. Um, they could use a, a a powerful striker in the middle to go along with Musa Baron or Cellini and, and company. Uh, yeah. It would be really compliment Tiago Motos if he Tiago Motos stays, assuming right. Uh, it'd be really good for his style as well. So I think you know those are some shouts I think that would serve Inzola well. I want to see him in the league because he's obviously a good player. Um, I hate to see the Angolese player leave the leave the leave the league. I hate to see talent leave the league. But uh, those are probably some of the spots I would look at uh, myself if I thought you know he would fit somewhere in the league. Sassuolo too. Uh, yeah, don't forget Sassuolo. Flanked by Berardi and Lorient. Uh, yeah. Good, good gravy. That could be. That could get sick. I wouldn't say Atalanta, but the Atalanta they have they have too much. They've they got so many attackers. Although yeah. he would fit the profile of what they're looking sure. for. You sure. know. Yeah. I mean, he's. You know, I. I I'd, I'd I'd say it's perfectly fair to compare him to someone like Duvan Zapata. So, yeah. Um you know, someone in that mold. Maybe not as not not with the pedigree of Romelu Lukaku, but a lot of the physical characteristics. Mm. Um so uh, you know, th- th- that's an interesting one. So, uh it's he's he's I mean, he's been the bright spot on what's been a pretty ugly uh, Spezia season so far. Yeah. So a team that's just barely dreading water right now to stay up. But they have 21 goals, and I think he has like – Spezia scored 21 goals in Serie A, and I think he has like, what, 13 of them? 11. 11. 11. Okay. Yeah. That's – yeah. That's getting – that's 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 uh, Jao Pedro at Cagliari figures. Yeah, um, yeah. Or Marco Moriello, Cagliari. Yep. <laughs> yep. Look at what that – look at what look at what happened to Cagliari last year. Yeah. So, Sorry, George. Sorry, George. Yep. You start to yeah, George is in the chat too. I hated to bring that up. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't do that. It's like George I it's not like I sat there and said, Oh, George is in the chat. Let me stick it to him. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Um, but those were the first six. How about there was weekday calcio, Monday, Tuesday. Like Syria got weird on us. Yeah, trying to do some English uh, schedule or something like that. But, uh, yeah, uh, starting off, we, the aforementioned Hellas Verona were hosting Fiorentina. A big game for Hellas. Um, uh, Fiorentina to an extent, but mostly for Fior- for Hellas. And uh, they did not show up. Uh, former former lead man for them, uh, Antonin Barak, scored an opening goal in the 12th minute, did not celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, Cabral doubled the lead in the 38th minute. Nice goal off for set piece there. And then Biragi, goal of the week, 89th minute. Game's already set at that point, but... Uh, Apparently, uh, Hellas were already on vacation mode, and Beragi took advantage of the goalkeeper being out of the box. Scored beyond midfield with a laser of a shot. Really good shot, honestly. Uh, 3-0 Fiorentina win on the road there. Big. They've been on, uh, on a good form ever since the uh, success in the European um, Conference League play. So, 
Uh, good to see Fiorentina back in the winning column. Uh, Lazio hosting Sampdoria. We saw um, tough play. I, I really like the kits about Sampdoria with the orange kits. Did you like that, the orange kits? Uh, yeah, I've seen those before. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I like that a lot. Um, the game was uh fairly back and forth. You know, I thought Lazio would be, and they did have you know majority of possession in the shots, but I thought this game was a lot closer than I was expecting. I think at least. Uh, certainly for Lazio as well. It took until the 80th minute where Luis Alberto scored a, a screamer of a goal top of the box. Goal of the week candidate there. Uh, Lazio win one nothing at home. Moving on to Tuesday's action. Uh, Roma at Cremonese. Uh, everyone's talking about, hey, uh, Roma's going to jump into third place after this game against Cremonese. Lowly Cremonese who has no wins. Uh, 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 not so fast, my friend. Uh, goal scoring started early. Uh, Izuet scored in the 17th minute, uh, give them the lead, and they had the lead for quite a while, honestly. Um, Mourinho saw a red card, I missed the play, I had just ha- happened to go out to get a drink, came right back, and I saw the red card, so I missed what happened. Did you catch what happened there with the red card? Obviously, he's upset uh, with it was it was around the time of the penalty, I yeah. missed it too. I was, yeah. I had the game on in the background while I was at work, which you know, don't tell my boss that, but nah. <laughs> Uh, but, um, I, you know, but I, I can't think of, I, I want to say it was around the time when the penalty happened. Right. So yeah. somewhere in the 83rd, 84, in that, in that range. No, I think he got a, I think he got a, a halftime. Either way, he got a red card. Um, Spinazzola ends up getting a goal in the 71st minute. Nice goal. Honestly, uh, they had a goal mm-hmm. taken away before that. Uh, but one, one looks like Roma's maybe starting to make a amount of comeback. Penalty happens. Uh, I was Afinagian taken down to the bottom. I think it was Afinagian got taken down uh, by the goalkeeper. Penalty called, uh, and, they, and then Chofani ended up scoring the goal, getting the win. Thoughts on the penalty there? Controversial play. Uh, do you think it should have been a penalty there? Yes, Patricio fouls him. I Patricio fouls him. There's no, there's no debate, and Romanisti can be as pissed off as they want about it. But I mean, that's a penalty that would have been called on every team in this league. I mean, yeah. don't. I mean, don't make something that don't make something that isn't there. Just yeah. it was a penalty. It you know, I you know, I don't I don't I think I think there's this just this more of this just uh anxiety over the humiliation of losing to a team that had not won a City Odd game all season, I think was kind of more is is what probably motivated the Roma fans to get so angry on Twitter and things like that. So yeah, yeah, and also worth noting, uh, one of the assistants for Mourinho got uh, sent off as well. Um, I believe this is Cremonese's second win against Roma this season. I think, I think they got the Coppa Italia win against them. Was it them or Napoli? I forget. Beat them uh, in the Copa. Yeah, they beat Roma. Yeah, they beat, they beat Roma. Roma twice. So there you go. So two-one <laughs> victory for Cremonese. Cremonese there does not allow Roma to get into third. So Milan hold that third position in, in the league. Uh, if only they on. could. If only they could play Roma every week. Right. Right. They'd be uh, out of relegation. Um, <laughs> finally, the last game of the w- match week was uh, the Derby de la Mole. Biggest game of the weekend, uh, at least in terms of entertainment, what we saw there really lived up finally to a Derby that we saw. We saw Pogba back, the return of Paul Pogba. Uh, say what you want about him, but uh, he does return. And Juve start off uh, start off the game not on, on the back foot. Caramo, two minutes in. I mean, like one minute and 37 seconds in the game. Uh, Caramo scores the goal. Uh you love to see Torino get on the board because this means that they're into the game. Uh, Cuadrado quickly responded, maybe 10 minutes later, wonderful goal by himself. He's a big game player. He always loves these derbies and always seems to score in these games. Um, Sanabria 
has some opportunities getting closer and closer. Finally, just before halftime, he gets a goal, makes it two to one for Torino. You're like, here we go. Torino's really came to play. Uh, minutes later in stoppage time, uh, Danilo scores a goal, 2-2 going into halftime. It's already a crazy game at this point. Uh, and then uh, Bremer ends up getting the game winner in the 71st minute, gets a goal, celebrates with the goal, which you, it's, it's funny to see when he scores against the former team. Uh, in a big game, the Rabio in the 80th minute to round it out, 4-2 victory. Um, let's start there. I thought this was a, a, an impressive performance by Juventus when obviously Torino came to play in this game. I thought... Vlahovic and Kostic, despite not scoring goals, they did very well to create plays, I think, for their teammates. I mean, thoughts on this game uh, win by Juventus over Torino? Yeah, I thought this was, you know, I mean, I think when you look at how the team set up, Juve lets you have the ball. And, you know, I think they're getting better and better in terms of hitting on the break. But then in this game, they took advantage of their set pieces where two of these goals came from, uh, the Danilo goal and then the Bremer goal. Um, And, uh, you know, so you had that, you had that going. Um, Angel Di Maria has been immense from a playmaking standpoint in a team that has not had a lot of playmakers this season. Uh, Cuadrado getting the opportunity, certainly more effective in a wingback role. Oddly enough, you're going to tell me that Juve scored four goals and not a single cross from Juan Cuadrado. Uh, that was interesting to see. Um, quite interested in this uh, Enzo uh, Baranecchia, uh, yeah. who started the game, uh, and I thought put a relatively impressive shift in. Absolutely. So, um, so there was that. To, there was that to talk about. Uh, Costage doing his usual creating, and it was just a. You know, the only if you want to if if you want to criticize someone, criticize Vlaovic should have even scored a couple of goals in this game. So Juve looked very potent going forward, and I think that this kind of setup and the way they play this is going to serve them well um, as they navigate through the Europa League. Um, we talked about this that they, they, they need that to be an all in. Um, they need that to be an all in. They need that to be with right now with this points penalty. I don't think they're going to be able to win the appeal on this. Um, so they're going to need that competition, but they've, they've worked their way back into seventh. So they're sitting in a European place, technically speaking too. Uh, so, um, but they, they're, they're, they're actually, since that penalty got handed down, you can argue that Juventus is playing some of the best football in Italy. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. If Napoli, uh, Napoli, if Juventus find a way to make into the top four, is this, is that good or bad for the league? With the fifty point deduction, I say, and let you think about that. Uh, I say it's arguably bad for the league because a team gets penalized for being, you know, doing what they did, and it still find a way to make it in the top four when this was supposed to be the year that they struggled and we had all these teams that are supposed to be really good, you know, the, the two Roman clubs, uh, the two Milanese clubs, Napoli, Atalanta, and they finally make the top four. Like, I don't know if that's good for the league it, it, from the outside perspective. From us, you know, we, we, you know, we, we, the Serie A community understands it. But, I mean, from the outside optics looking in, they're like, look, they got deducted in this uh, this league and this, they still find a way in the top four. Like, this is a joke league. That's what I think. I mean, I, I, you know, as a community Serie A, I don't think that's what we're going to think. But from the outside looking in, those who don't know the game, are going to look at it that way, in my opinion. 
I, I don't know. I don't know if you can say if it's good or b- good for the league or if it's bad for the league. What I will tell you is that it is a massive indictment on the teams that uh, end up finishing fifth and sixth. Yeah. That. And right now we're looking at the Roman Roman clubs being those teams. We're looking at Atalanta being one of those teams um, that they were basically helped here by Juventus's misgivings, you know, off the pitch and being penalized for it. And they had every opportunity to be that fourth team for the Champions League next season, and they couldn't seize it. and they they allowed Juventus to get back into this thing and take it from them. So um, I think it would actually be a pretty fascinating story. Uh, I think that it would create a whole new um, wave, I guess, would be the best description of Juventus fatigue among Serie A fans. You know, to have Juventus Twitter coming out and, um, you know, <laughs> now pounding their chest over this accomplishment <laughs> and and things like that. That's 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 the only thing that I would be weirded out by. I, I, you know, I whether it's good for the league or bad for the league that Juventus rally to finish fourth. I don't really know. Um, I just would say it's an indictment on the teams that can't grab that fourth spot when they had such an advantage to do so. You know who else might not like it are the Allegri out camp because, you know, if they miss Champions League, it's like, hey, you know, get him out of here. But if he makes Champions League somehow, uh, he's going to stay. Unless he decides he wants to move on, he'll probably stay. Uh, and you're going to be much harder to get him, get rid of him, uh, especially with your know, 50-point deduction and you still find a way to make Champions League. Like, that'd be pretty damn impressive, honestly, if, you, and if you're looking at it from that perspective. Sure. But... What would you rather? I mean, and, and let's let, let's let's tie let's piggyback what Fitcom is saying here about wanting teams that go to the Champions League being ambitious. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a Juventus that's in the form that they're in right now, or would you rather have a Lazio that's okay? They get there on their merit, but they're 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 middling at best when they get to you know when they get to European competition. They don't have the depth. They don't have the resources to to reload the team to be able to compete, or or a Roma who will suddenly flake on you. I mean, that's a legitimate question to ask. I mean, in terms of ambition, Juventus are going to be, you know, better equipped for that than than the Roman clubs at this point. Yeah, if you could guarantee me that both Roman clubs will play at their absolute peak best when they're in Champions League, yeah. But you can't, but guarantee, my, you can't guarantee you that. You can't though. guarantee it. Maybe yeah. Roma because they have Mourinho and they've won and they won a Europa League. Um, or they won, yeah, they won Europa League, or Conference League, excuse me. Um, but Lazio... They haven't proven it yet. Uh, Roma has certainly had proven this season. So I agree with you. I think you'd probably want Juventus, especially in this kind of form, especially with the manager that they have and the experience that they have. They're probably better suited. No, not probably. They're definitely better suited to be more ambitious in the Champions League than than said Roman clubs and and, and Atalanta as well. Uh, maybe the only teams that can't say you can't say that with are the, the two Milanese clubs and, and Napoli. So uh, yeah, I would then think you know Juventus should be in the Champions League based on that. But will they make it? We'll see. Doubtful. Okay, so it's a loss for Roma, but I think there's a huge encouragement that came from this game, and that's Leonardo Spinazzola. Back-to-back, very good games. Um, 
was very yeah. good in the second leg against Salzburg to assist, and now comes in and scores a goal against Cremonese. I think we're, you know, and this is, you know, I, I can't remember who said it in the chat, but it, you know, it's good for Syria and good for Italy when Leonardo Spinazzola can get back to his best. And I'm very, very encouraged after the two performances here. So maybe, okay, so Roma fans are obviously angry about the loss. I'm, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of you have, you have Spinazzola back in the fold and looking like he's working his way back to playing at a very high level, which is encouraging to see. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a it's a strong positive there to have a, a guy like Spinozola back in your lineup, back in your arsenal, uh, and be able to go down the stretch here where <clears throat> really your main job is to beat your rivals. If you can beat your rivals, you're in the top four, you're in Champions League. Uh, and that should be motivation enough to to go down the stretch for both the fans and the players. Um, and having a guy like Spinozola playing when he's at his best, you saw what he did for the Azzurri during their, 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 their title run in the Euros. Uh, he is one of the best left backs in the league when he's on. So good to see him back healthy. Hopefully he stays healthy uh, and continues to produce for this team. And you know, Roma can only do better when he's when he's on the pitch and, and playing well. So uh, it's it's a absolutely got to take us with a positive. Yep. Um, but man, Cremonese. I mean, it, th- th- I would have hated to see them go the whole season without a win. I mean, I yeah. just that that would have stunk. That would have stunk and. Um, you know, to see the, to see, you, you see the emotions from the, the fans after the game, the players, I think Giovanni almost broke down after the game. Um, you know, how heavy were his feet on that penalty, by the way? Um, you know, you think, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's just one of those things, but, uh, I think in the end, they end up going down. I, I still don't think they have the, the tools to be able to compete. I get what Balladini's trying to do and how he's trying to play. We know we know what Balladini's style is, and it's pretty much the only choice for Cremonese if they want any hope. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, we can enjoy what they accomplished here. Um, you know, they may go down, but they're going to go down saying, "Hey, we we beat one of the best teams in Italy during the season." They're going to have, and the Cremonese fans in particular are going to have uh, that memory to hang on to for a long time. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, we should talk about Monday's games because uh, uh, Conference League Fiorentina showed up at the Bentagodi. They did, they did, and they uh, they got a result. Which, like I said, we had seen up until the Europa League uh, Conference League games had started, they had looked so bad in Syria, and then finally started getting some victories here. Uh, they played well in their in the, in the Conference League. And they built that into the into the into the Monday game, and uh, Fiorentina really did well. Started out great. I mean, that's how, I mean, anytime you play a game, you score early. That's going to do the world of confidence for you. Anthony Barak, who's been quietly a really strong player for them this season, scored the opening goal. Uh, yeah, Cabral scoring a goal, which he doesn't seem to do that often too. And it's it, the possession, the style of play, everything seems to be going well at the moment. And again, it's confidence that they they gained from the European play. Um, and it's finally get, you get to see it spill over into the city. Yeah, whatever Vincenzo Italiano has been doing here in the last few weeks, it's really working at the moment. And hopefully, he can continue riding that, keeping the team in obviously a European hunt uh, on top of their actually games in the conference league. So, uh, yeah, you love seeing Fiorentina win. It's it's always hard watching a team like this, a talented team like this, struggle mightily in the league as, as they have been. 
uh, now they finally got this turned around and um, happy, happy, happy to see this happen. And obviously, when you get goals like Baragi's goal from like from distance and Steph Curry range, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to see. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, happy times, I think, for the league when Fiorentina's when they score and they do well. I will say this. Um, I, I think that, that Verona's manager got this wrong playing Kevin Lasagna to start the game instead of playing Gaich. Yeah. Gaich to me is the better play, better striker. And he missed some sitters too, my goodness. Yeah, he had and he had some great chance when he came on, he had some great chances and nearly brought Hellas Verona back into the game. I just I I really was stumped by that because you know Watching this game, watching Hellas Verona, they're building the attack. I mean, the the change in formation and some of the things that they've done, you know, has really elevated the play of Darko Lazovic. Yeah. We talked about Ngonje being a good player that that has come over, and it was a nice find by Hellas Verona. Um, but it got to them, and then everything stopped because Lasagna was pretty much nowhere to be found. He pretty much he got marked out of the game. Uh, by the combination, I'm looking at the wrong game. Um, I'm already on the Lazio game. Uh, by by Lucas Martinez and Igor Julio. Yeah. Um, and I think Lasagna only had the one shot. Um, well, he had a couple of other shots, but he had the the, the best chance he had was the one that uh, uh, the long ball from Davidovich. Yeah. yeah. Um, that he didn't that didn't even come close. So. I just I, I wonder if this game would have been a little bit different if Gaich played from the start. Um, I thought that the way Fiorentina set up, they looked very lively, um, and I think we're learning what a nice fit Rolando Mandragora is in this team too. Uh, which yeah. I mean, getting taking the corner and uh, on the goal for Cabral, dictating things through the midfield, his his, his passing vision. Um, you know, in the characteristics, I think that this is a nice compliment uh, to uh, uh, Amrabat for as long as they're going to have Amrabat. And then, uh, and then, yeah, the Viragi goal. I mean, <laughs> you don't need an endorsement from me. I, it's the goal of the week. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, now in the conversation for goal of the season, and I think we got a couple in there that we got to talk about when we get to the end, but that was something uh, for sure. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you need this, when you need a game and you need to start crawling out, I mean, I I think that uh, is it Zaffaroni? Is that his last name? Zaffaroni? Mm, um, yeah, the Hellas Verona coach. I think so, I, yeah. I think he whiffed uh, yeah. when uh, they needed a they needed a big they needed a big performance. They needed the right lineup and. Um, I mean, I think a surefire way to lose this game was starting Kevin Lasagna up front. He's just not the guy, you know, and even when he was the guy that he was, he was average. Yeah, I, I think, and I, I think also going back to your Mandragora comments, I think it's good to see him finally um, start to play how we thought. Like when we first heard that he was going to Fiorentina, we're like, this is a great, this is great chemistry, potentially. The, it's a great fit. This should work out really well, and it just took him such a long time. And obviously, maybe injuries and all that stuff kind of plays into it, and trying to get acclimated to a new surroundings. Uh, but now we're seeing that in the last few games, he's playing playing a lot better, and he's put in a position where he can succeed. Uh, yeah. And obviously, it helps when the rest of the team is doing well. And so having a having a guy like Mandragora on the team is only going to boost your chances of, of 
you know, getting a result in these games. And obviously we, we saw that in this game with his, you know, set piece ability and, uh, and the vision that he talked about. So yeah, it's, it's good to see. Cause um, you know, guys like he and Orsolini who had so much hype since they were youngsters took a while to get their foot in the ground and get going. We're seeing Orsolini finally getting really hot now. And yeah. then I got finally getting a, maybe hopefully a home here in Fiorentina. Uh, Cause both those guys seem to be bouncing around all, all over in their careers as a youngster. So hopefully now as they're a little bit older, they've been more experienced. They can kind of use that to kind of apply their trade at one location and really build something special for themselves. Wonderful goal from Luis Alberto for Lazio. Yeah. Um, maybe spared them some blushes. They really controlled this game, generated a lot of chances. Um, interestingly enough, Sampdoria had, had a couple of opportunities there. Provedel was called on to make some saves. I can't remember where they came from. I thought Lammers had one of them. Yeah, Gabbiadini, I think, had another. Um, yep. One other, I remember. But yeah, Provedel, he's been a quietly sneaky, fantastic pickup for Lazio. You know, yeah. everyone thought that, the, I forgot the other guy's name now, who they brought in. They thought it was going to be the starter. And we saw last year, we saw the year before, Provedel, when he was with, with Spezia, he was a fantastic keeper, faced a million shots, but he was really making saves. And all we said is that he needs to go to a, a, a pretty decent team or a good team, and he'll he'll show his skills. And what we've seen with Lazio, he took over this number one position and really made it his own. Uh, and so Lazio now have no worries in the back, and they can it's, they can focus more on defense and rest of their game. Their attack is just wonderful to watch. And like you said, they kind of own possession. Immobile missing a couple of sitters in this game. But it's that play that they have, that the Maurizio-style attack where they move the ball around, quick passing, looking for the balls over the top. Um, it's nice to see. It's aesthetically pleasing for sure, but they're not finishing their chances. And like you said, had Luis Alberto not scored that goal, you're looking at an embarrassing 0-0 draw in a game that you dominate. Uh, and so uh, Albert, Luis Alberto, this is a reminiscent goal that we saw when he scored against Inter, I believe. Um, where he scored from almost exact same spot. And so Luis Alberto, good to see him scoring some goals and um, just, you know, carrying the team at times, it seems like, with, with his goals that he scores, big goals that he scores in these in some of these games. And so, yeah, it's a interesting game. Lazio, like some of these teams that we saw this weekend that didn't capitalize on our chances. Fortunately for them, Luis Alberto did, and uh, they get away with the three important points, I think, I think for sure. Jesse Rodriguez plays for Sampdoria now. Because I'm like trying to figure out who on this Sampdoria team can unlock anybody anymore. And they're now yeah. desperate enough to bring isn't he the guy that like his fiance nearly ran over him or ran over him or oh maybe I don't know. Maybe something don't like know. that. I I was reading about that a long time ago, some crazy shit. And <laughs> uh and now that and and now now he's in Serie A. So um it's uh, but anyway, uh, I digress. But I, that's 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 the one thing. And yeah, Anthony says yes, that's the one. Um, <laughs> it's okay. So here's the problem for me with Sampdoria. I mean, I think their work rate, I think their commitment, and and they are playing for Stankovic. That you know that yeah. that I see. I mean, it's it, it's evident to me. The problem is, is that who unlocks the opponent on this team? Yeah. You know, they've got serviceable guys up front with Gabbiadini and Lammers, but who's, you know, there's, where's the creativity and where's the pace, you know? I mean, where's the guy that can, that can run and can get behind it. that can go at people that Sampdoria doesn't have a single player like that. Um, you know, the closest they can get is, is Rodriguez or even uh, Valerio Vere, but Vere is more of a technician. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, you know, 
it's I, I still think Sampdoria is a bit of a brand name in Serie A. I mean, I, I remember the teams of the early 90s that Viali played for and David Platt was on and, and things like that. It's just kind of to see a to see that uh, to see to see one to see what a team that I consider one of the brand names of Syria going down kind of. Eventually, I mean, a guy he's a little bit older now. He's thirty one. Juricic. He's he's a player who could unlock a team. He just he hasn't found it yet. He hasn't yeah. really got his footing yet with Sampdoria, and so that's a guy that I thought was going to come in and be able to be that playmaker type to kind of feed some of these other guys. You got Pusetto as well as another guy who. Uh, has that potential, but it just—it seems to be the the you know the Gabidinis of the world that still control this team. Sabiri has been in and out. Um, as yeah, well. it was so, Sabiri. Sabiri's a, a good technical player too. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> saw that at the World Cup. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, the question is who is going to be the one who's going to be the unlock them and be the playmaker and right take the reins. And no one has done it just yet. Unfortunately, the time is running out. Goals of the week. Goals of the week. Um, and Biragi's the goal of the week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my top five, uh, it wasn't really a goal, his goal, but I counted Teo Hernandez. That was a fantastic Ah, oh, come on. That's an own goal. It doesn't count. It wouldn't happen if he didn't shoot. <laughs> uh, so that's fine. Uh, number four, Castanos. I thought his uh, his goal was really nice, really well taken by him. Uh, his teammate, Koulibaly, fantastic strike. Number three for me. Top corner, really well placed. Orsolini, uh, that's number two for me. Uh, that was a great counter goal, game-winning goal against Inter. Uh, took that super well against Onana, who's been really hot as of late. And so to beat a keeper like him is uh, is impressive. And so, yeah, that's number two. And obviously, Baragi's number one. So, yeah. Number five for me is going to be the uh, – I, I never make a penalty a, a goal of the week candidate, but I'm going to just go with Daniel Trofani's penalty at number five, the significance of it, giving Cremonese their first win in Serie A in 24 tries. Uh, at number four, I will go with the uh, uh, Koulibaly goal, mm. uh, curler against Monza. At number three, I'm going to go with Sajut from uh, Cremonese. Never, I, I didn't think I'd go all season uh, putting two Cremonese goals in the in the top five for goals of the week. But yeah, okay, here, here we are. Uh, number two, Luis Alberto's winner. Just really well taken. First touch, just acting quickly, uh, striking the ball with power. Uh, and scoring there, and then yeah, Beragi number one. I think it's going to be number one across the board. No one's going to, mm-hmm. no one is going to debate that. But there's at least three goals in there that could have been a goal of the week in any other week. Yeah. Uh, so it just happened you didn't score from midfield like Beragi did and catch the Hellas Verona team napping in the process. So um, let's talk. Let's move. To, let's move the conversation to Europe here, Richard. Europa League. Um, and uh, we can also preview Tottenham Milan also, uh, which takes place next Wednesday. But let's start with the Europa League draw. Juventus will play Freiburg. Roma will play Real Sociedad. Uh, you're familiar with Freiburg. I know a little bit about Freiburg. I know a little bit of an Italian international that goes by the name of Vincenzo Grifo, yeah. uh, who's probably going to be excited about this opportunity. Um, but He's not the only guy there. I look at Freiburg's team. Uh, Japanese international Ritsu Don is on that team, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very talented player. Um, and uh, let me just pop through some of these other guys because I was saving this uh, with, with some of the names. Just uh, players you should probably be concerned about uh, when you take a look at this team. Gregorich up front has been uh, been decent on the goal front. Um uh, Ronald Salai, the Hungarian international, Grifo, uh, 
And then uh, you've got Matthias Ginter, Christian Gunter, guys that are that are solid there. And then in, in, in the goalkeeping is eh, okay. Flecken's okay. Yeah. Uh, but doesn't scare you. But you've seen Freiburg more than the rest of us have. So talk about what Juventus has to look forward to. <clears throat> this team is legit. Um, they're challenging for the top four in the Bundesliga, and they're not too far from the top of the league. Honestly, this is a team that's a little engine that could with uh, Strike is their manager. He's a, he's a fantastic, insane manager. Yeah. Kind of what you think of the uh, the owner of Sampdoria is what you kind of think of like the manager of Freiburg. And not the looks, just to have this the craziness of they are but people love the, the manager anyway but beside the point Freiburg are tough they're difficult they're difficult away and especially at home um and this is going to be a difficult out for Juventus um based on current form this does serve Juventus as well but they cannot overlook Freiburg Freiburg is a good team I, I it's gonna be this is gonna be a tight encounter this is absolutely gonna be a tight encounter much more difficult than not was for Juventus um Juventus, I think, need to come away with a a, a a good victory at home to start to start the first leg because uh, the second leg at Freiburg will be difficult. I guarantee it, and especially with a guy, a guy like Vincenzo Grifo uh, and and Don who are out there who could unlock defenses and score goals. So you got to be wary of that. So, um, do they have some world world beaters and names? No, I mean outside of Vincenzo Grifo, n- nobody's really going to know one of these guys, right? Unless you really follow deeply like we do, um, but. They're a team not to be taken lightly. They are very, very good. They're they're structured. They're disciplined, uh, and they're quick. They're deceptively quick. So I mean, Gregorich is a little bit slow on the foot, but he he's a guy who seems to struggle a lot. And then all of a sudden, you put him on a team like this, and he scores goals. He's got eight goals when he had probably had eight goals in like three years before. So I mean, he's turned it around. A lot of these guys are turning around this season on the way they're playing, and they're just a fun team to watch. So look out if you're Juventus. I, I do think I, I, Juventus will still edge this. It's going to be very, very difficult. Um, you know, I just I think they have slightly more resources than Freiburg do to go through. Um, but I, 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 I do take Freiburg seriously as a threat to Juventus's prospects in this competition. I no doubt about it. But I think in the end, I, you know, Grifo is a guy that certainly will play with a lot of motivation, getting a chance to play against an Italian side. Mm-hmm. Um, Gregorich is a decent striker for them, but not someone that I think Juventus's defenders are going to be afraid of. Um, you know, it's 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 just having to be wary of some of the other threats that are come from different positions. Guys like Ginter, uh, with his ability to come forward and provide crosses, uh, and then Ritsu Don, who can who can run forever, really. Um, I mean, I think that those would, to me, are the danger men in this, in this Freiburg setup. Um, but in the end, I think that, I think that Juventus will just ever so slightly edge this. I mean, I think, you know, at home, they win 2-1, they go to Germany, score draw, 1-1, something like that. Juve go through 3-2 on aggregate. Can you see that? I can see that. I can see that for sure. Uh, but at the moment, despite Juventus's form, I kind of, I kind of am edging Freiburg to win this late at their home. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, I, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I love to see all the Italian teams go go deep into their respective tournaments. Um, I'm not quite sold on. Despite Juventus looks really good at the moment, I'm not convinced on their European play just yet. Even though there was that was a massive performance against not three nothing victory there on the road. Um, so I shouldn't discount them, right? And Allegri, but 
ah, it's got this feeling like a Freiburg's going to pull something out of their ass in the last in the second leg. So we'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, Roma and Real Sociedad. Uh, this is going to be a rock fight over 180 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Real Sociedad's third in, in, in La Liga, but they have their third with a goal difference of nine. Through 23 games, they've scored 32 and they've conceded 23. They don't score a lot, um, but they also defend reasonably well. Roma really don't score a lot, and they also defend reasonably well. So something's got to give here. It wouldn't shock me over the course of 180 minutes that only one goal gets scored. Um, yeah. uh, I think Real Sociedad go through. I just think they're the slightly stronger team here in the grand scheme of things. Um I don't know where you're where you're at on this, guys. You got to be careful with uh, when it comes to Real Sociedad. Uh, Bryce Mendez, just about everything goes through him uh, in the attack uh, through the midfield. Alexander Sorloth is the striker they're going to be looking to for goals, uh, and then Takifusa Kubo might be having one of his better seasons in La Liga. Um, and I can't remember where he played prior to Real Sociedad. He was on one of the smaller uh, La Liga clubs, but he has plied his trade there all this time. They get some good midfield steal from uh, Mikel Marino, uh, but Marino is also capable of creating creating chances from the midfield, whether deep lying or getting close to the attackers in the top of the box. Uh, so those are some things you got to look out for. And then you've got Mikel Oyarzabal in there too. So a mm. uh, longtime player there. And then uh, – 37-year-old going on 75. David Silva's in the mix, too, still, amazingly, over there. Yeah. Uh, so just some of the names to just have yourself, uh, uh, you know, acquainted with when it comes to Real Sociedad. Like I said, 180-minute rock fight between these two teams, given their styles. I Maybe being a little exaggerating, just saying one goal over 180 minutes, but I'll have Real Sociedad knocking Roma out 2-1 on aggregate. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the rock fight. I mean, I think three goals, maybe over two legs here, you know, it's not going to be much goal scoring here. I'm with you, though. I, and I hate to say this for Serie A teams. I think Real Sociedad is just slightly better than Roma. And I think they, like I said, yeah, David Silva is 37 years old. But look at Luka Modric did at 37 years old, right? David Silva is still class. He still has the talent. You know, we got to be careful of him. What did Pirlo do in his, you know, his ripe old age 37? He was still doing things, right? you got to be worried, guys, like this. Uh, but I, we've seen Real Sociedad in these tournaments over the last few years, and they're just something about them. They make it difficult for everybody they play, uh, and it's, it's it's just that La Liga teams in general play teams difficult in Europe. They always do. And as much as I, I want to see Roma and Juventus go through, I I, I think Real Sociedad is just going to edge them ever so slightly in the rock fight that you mentioned. Um, I, I, I hope we're wrong, but. Again, uh, we'll see. We'll see how this works out. But uh, both teams, both City Out clubs need to come out fighting and get some goals in this first game if they want to have any chance of progressing out of this round. Yep. Um, let's go to the uh, Conference League uh, matchups. We'll start with Fiorentina. They get Sivaspor uh, from the Turkish League. Uh, Sivaspor is ha- having a bit of a struggle in the Turkish League. They're in 13th. Um, players to watch in uh this one here uh Diaz Saba is among their leaders in goals Max Gradle a very very old man um, in their midfield uh he's yeah. been everywhere hasn't he uh throughout his career but he's in this he's in this mix as well um those are two guys at least from the uh creative standpoint Mustafa Yadabari 
uh, plays up front for them. Ahmed Musa, they just brought over, and I can't remember the club that he came from. Uh, Clinton and Jai, Cameroon International, uh, also another attacking option for them in, in that team. Um, people might remember Isaac Chofi from Ghana's World Cup team. Yep. Um, he's on this. He's on this team as well. Uh, but I mean, if Fiorentina can flash the form that they have in the last couple of games, they get through this comfortably, in my opinion, uh, and have an easy pass here path here to the last eight. I don't, you know, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like we don't know what Fiorentina is going to show up if if they've been playing like they've been playing lately. Yeah, it should be uh, it should be smooth sailing for them. Um, prior to this run, they had played piss poor, and you know, so it's we're gonna go. I'm gonna go with the hot hand right now, and I, I think Fiorentina should win this fairly comfortably. Um, it's always tough to go to Turkey to play, obviously, but uh, I think Fiorentina should have enough to do in the, to based on current form to get the job done, and um, hopefully they can carry this on both in in Conference League and in the Serie A. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, I hope it's, I hope Fiorentina go through easily. Yep. Um. So and then Lazio gets Azad Alkmaar. Azad Alkmaar is third in the Eredivisie, five points behind uh, top our league leading PSV. Um. Uh, free scoring too, 49 goals and 23. Who's not free scoring in the Eredivisie though? <laughs> um, but led by uh, Vangelis Pavli- uh, Pavlidis uh, and Jens Odgaard, those are the guys that are kind of doing the scoring for them this season. Sven uh, Minans, the midfielder who kind of provides the creativity for them. They also get play from Yukinari Sugawara uh, as a defender. Um, uh, so... Uh, Names we're not familiar with, but 23 games in the Eredivisie and they've scored 49 goals. Uh, Lazio better be ready for what's coming. Yeah, you can't take Azakmar lightly for sure because obviously they have the power to score goals. Um, but what, what we've seen, at least from them in, in Conference League alone, is that up and down play, like they give up goals in every game. They haven't had mm. any shutouts, so they can be had. And I think if Lazio can take their chances well and play solid defensively. Provedal can stand on his head as he'll need to at times. I think Lazio has a really good chance at getting out of this group. I haven't been overly impressed with, yeah, Azakmar's look really well in the league, but in, in European play, they, they've looked vulnerable. They haven't looked like super comfortable in their victories. And so, um, not that Lazio has by any stretch either, right? But I, I have confidence that hopefully Maurizio Sarri can figure this out Get a seed to get a victory. It'll be close. I don't think it'll be a, a, as comfortable victory as the Fiorentina leg over there. But I think Lazio should be able to, to beat Azakmar based on talent alone. Um, but it's going to be hard because, like I said, there is always that. If, you, if you're if you sleeping, they will catch you and they will score goals. So you have to be wary of that, uh, especially when you go to Netherlands, right? Netherlands. Uh, and most, most of these places <clears throat> are difficult to play in Europe, uh, especially these perennial places like Turkey and and the Netherlands and, and and some of these Eastern European places they're also difficult to go to so yeah let's see but uh, I have confidence in Lazio uh, and Fiorentina this one yep okay so I got so we got I've got Juve Fiorentina and Lazio going through you just have Fiorentina and Lazio going through correct we both think Roma go out to Real Sociedad yes okay I I, I think that's fair uh, and then finally, we've got Milan now traveling to Tottenham Hotspur. I believe that is Wednesday, uh, yes. a week from today. Yes. Um, at uh, I think it's a Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They're call- is that what they're calling it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Milan hold a one nil advantage. 
we have a very solid understanding of what's going to be out there. They'll have Mignon back. Does Tottenham have Lloris back? I heard rumors that they will be, but I haven't confirmed that. Okay. Um, and they've got Son. They've, I mean, it, it, it's. I think the obvious battle is, okay, you're going to have to know where Harry Kane is all the time, but with his movement and the, some of the things that he does, it's it's something that I think that Tamori, Chow, and uh, Kalulu can cope with. Um, the concerns are the runs that are going to come through the players in support of Kane's son, uh, and then Kulishevsky or Richarlison. I think those are dangerous positions for Milan to cope with to figure out how to defend. I don't know if that back three can play them straight man for man. Um, uh, Conte on the bench means we aren't losing. Okay. <laughs> um, that's ambitious. Uh, but I think that's key in how they cope with that and how they figure that out. I mean, it, it, do you? T- and that's the other question. Do you take a two-man center midfield to London uh, the way that Milan have been doing in this formation, or do you figure something out where you bog down the midfield and then you just you leave it to Leo and Giroud up front on the break. That's going to be interesting to see how Pioli approaches this. I ultimately think he doesn't change a thing. I think you see Salamakers at the right wing back position to deal with Perisic. He did a very good job against him in the first leg. Uh, Perisic started to get his a little bit more, you know, as the game wore on. But overall, it was a solid job. And then over on the other side. Um, is if if I believe Royals fit um, against Teo, I think the guy, the player that can win that, can go a long way in helping determine Milan. I think that Milan's best suited to. Okay, I don't think they play as high a line against Atalanta. I I think they drop off just a little bit because I'm concerned about the maybe some of the up back through stuff and some of the stuff that Sun can do with some blindside runs and, and things like that. So drop off and see it all in front of you and then take your chances on the counter. Because one thing I love on the counter for Milan is lay on that left-hand side with Christian Romero, who's a foul waiting to happen. Um, the other thing in a, in a yellow card waiting to happen. The other thing here is I believe it's a Dyer that's out for this second leg through suspension. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, there's going to be a relative change here. You're going to probably be, see Romero, Longley, Davies yep. uh, across that back three. So that's a combination of guys that haven't really played together either. Um, so there's going to be some opportunities. I think Milan will snatch a goal here. Um, and I think at the end of the first leg, I said score draw for the second leg, 1-1. Milan go through 2-1 on aggregate. I'm going to stick with that. Um I, I hard hard with the way this defense is playing. Hard to say that they're going to concede a goal, um, but it's an away fixture in Europe. Things just go a little bit differently. So I'll take one one and run with it and see Milan into the quarterfinals. Yeah, I mean, I like that scoreline. I, I do think you know you, we've seen crazy things in Europe all the time, especially at England on second legs, and it's somehow goals always seem to happen. But mm-hmm. I like the shot. I think you know, it's like like Anthony says, if Milan can score early. Even if they don't score early, I think they can score in this game. Um, I do like the shot of 1-1 at minimum for, for Milan. I'm confident in the defense. I think Ben Asir is supposed to be back as well. Maybe I got I to check the confirmation on that, but I heard that he might be back as well with Magnon. That's a boost to have Magnon. And if you can get Ben Asir in there as well, that's even better. Um, I think I agree with you. I think Pioli doesn't change the damn thing. I think what the only thing he may change is 
what we saw in this last game is that Teo Hernandez is a little bit shaded into the middle to help clog that middle and also in the attack kind of exploit some things. Um, will help also free up uh, uh, Leao and and, uh, and Giroud. I say don't change the thing. I mean, you got the, the three guys in the back who you need to have the pace here, guys. All three of the guys that played this past weekend. Um, they they should do well. It's going to be difficult, obviously, against the talent that, that Tottenham have in attack. But like you said, the runners that come in from the from behind them is what you have to worry about. And I think if you, you know Benner says in there, whomever's in there, Tonali or, or even Krunic, it doesn't matter. They're gonna have to just be wary of that, and you know if you can get you know even Leao and uh, well Salamakers will definitely be back, but Giroud will probably try to help back as well, especially if they have a lead. Um, if it's a whole buy-in for the Milan defense, they should they should get the job done. Doesn't mean yeah. they're not getting, doesn't mean they're shut out. They should get the job done. Uh, and what we saw this weekend was encouraging because Magnon came back and it seemed like everybody's talent level lifted all of a sudden out of nowhere. Uh, and so if they continue that into the league, they play the way they've been playing uh, and not kind of be too conservative. We see Pioli in the past gone a little too conservative. If he stays, he stays his course, Milan should move on. Um, <clears throat> and I'm confident that this defense is going to be hard to beat. But the, the main area for me, my concern is the same with you, is that midfield, the runners that come in, Richarlison or some of these other guys that come in midfield. Uh, they had some youngsters play that did well for being youngsters for Tottenham. And I think, you know, sure. be wary of them. Uh, but I, I like Milan's chances for sure going through. And I'm, I'm going to say they go through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we think that they'll go through. And I think we can spend next week talking about Inter and Napoli's second legs. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, looking forward to all of this here uh, coming up in a week's time. Uh, <sighs> stadium mm-hmm. talk in Milan for both teams. Anthony had a question about it. I. At this point, until Paolo Maldini or somebody in Milan has a golden shovel and there's a ceremonial dig, I've got. I can't get. I, I, I can't. I can't even talk about this. I mean, it's just been getting dragged on and dragged on. They're now to the point where they won't even reveal to the uh, uh, to the mayor of Milan where they plan to want to have their new stadium. Some people think that Milan still want theirs in the metropolitan Milan area where Inter wants it, you know, maybe a little bit further away. You know, there's some speculation about that. Um, I, I, you know, and like I said, until there's a golden shovel digging into the dirt for the ceremony, I'm, yeah. I'm not buying anything. I read about this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm holding my breath. <clears throat> I am slightly more optimistic with Jerry Cardinal just because of his, um, of a track record. He tends to stick to his word for the most part in terms mm-hmm. of when they try to be optimistic with his teams. He really wants his team to get to that next level of financial stability. Um, so I, I believe, tend to believe him more than, you know, past predecessors, but uh, like you, until I see that shovel, so I see the announcement, I'm not going to buy it, but I like the decision. You know, every, the, the main talking point is like, should Inter and Milan stay together and continue this great partnership is like, you could, but it's about business. It's about money. And I think mm-hmm. they're better suited to have their own stadium and make their own money, especially not with the city of Milan and being involved and where they have to share the funds, right? We That's been the, a pain in the ass for both Inter and Milan. Uh, and so they can get out of that. They can hold the cards away from the, the, the mayor for as long as they can and say, yeah, we're going to dig it over here starting tomorrow or something. Yep. You know? But until it happens, I'm going to hold and wait. But I am slightly more optimistic now that Jerry Cardinal is talking about this versus you know anybody else. Yep, I agree. 
I agree. All right. Well, we'll just have to, uh, time will just, time will just have to, uh, be our guide here, uh, on this one. So, I mean, I just, I, it's, <laughs> I know Anthony, you had a question for, for us about it. I mean, that's just kind of where I'm at with it, you know, uh, store and restaurant space to make money 12 months out of the year. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it's, it is the best decision for them to have their own stadium. I mean, it's the best way right now for City Out to evolve is for these clubs to start getting active and building their own stadium. So let's yep. hope that it happens. So, all right. And now after all of that, it's time for uh, this edition of the world's most popular hashtag game. Who won Kelt Show Twitter? All right. We are off and let me find my tab. There we are. All right. So, uh, Napolinissimo says, uh, minute 90 tomorrow, Nantes 1, Juventus 0. This is obviously before the game. And it's Quadrado taking a free kick. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, accurate. Yeah, it's fairly accurate, yeah. Juventus did win the game, but uh, that didn't actually happen. So good for uh, Juventus, I guess. <laughs> well, our friend Johnny over at the Calcio guys uh, nominated Tony Malachi 7. Pogba takes f- more than five steps. <laughs> Well, they're right. Ah! Uh, that's good. All right. Uh, Francesco, Francesco underscore, Francesco Calcio underscore. Gasparini had a pretty good uh, Panini throwing aim. And so if you didn't catch this, uh, some guy pulls up to Gasparini and Gasparini didn't like what he had to say. So watch the video. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So Gasparini threw that at the driver? Yeah, yeah, and he got it in the car and then tried to throw oh, it back wow. at him. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Uh, at crazy underscore Milanista. <laughs> There's a guilt, actually, that comes over me with reading this just yeah. based on it, but I'm yeah. going to read it anyway. Uh, anyway, um Mbappe begging to join Milan while Eriksen had to fake a heart attack to escape from Inter. Oh we are God. not the same. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, poor Eriksen. Poor oh, Eriksen. gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh my Lord. All you right. I, went, I, I just I want to show you. Hold on here. The, uh, the I think the response afterward. Um. Yeah, uh, at Stinker Jen, it replied to him, you having a good tweet in the big 2023, you know, it was Zlatan coming on. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so a little bonus going with that one. That's funny. That's funny. That's All a good right. one. That's a good one. All right. Rounding out the nominations this week, Napoli Sansone says, you kept saying we're not your rivals. We agree. Plus 18. Enjoy. Big leap for Napoli in the table here. Uh, yeah, it's not even close at the moment. It is a uh, five-way horse for second place, but uh, yeah, no one's uh, even close to Napoli. What's a five-way horse? <laughs> it's what we can afford here, where I am in Maryland. All right, we can't afford it. <laughs> Just go with it, Frank. Just go with it. Uh, you meant to say five-horse race? I think. I don't know anymore, so. man. I don't know anymore. I just work here. Oh, uh, crazy man. Milanista, are we thinking that? Uh, crazy Milanista wins for me. <laughs> that yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. I'll go ahead and uh, name him the winner. A no five way uh, horse there. Yeah, it was a five way horse for <laughs> only five entries. Oh, uh, my goodness. 
All right, I'm gonna enter this while you say something to the people here. Uh, yeah. If you're in the, if you're listening along, watch along right now. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet to the YouTube page, please do so. Uh, and then leave a like on the video; be much appreciated. Uh, we have a website, uh, SyriaSitdown.com. We're gonna try to put add some more content in there, and then as well as add some videos to our YouTube page. Uh, make sure you follow us along and everywhere on social media uh, to get the latest information from Syria. Uh, and nothing really. I mean, we got <clears throat> some big games coming up this weekend. Um, really big games here. Let me get uh, my Serie A website going here. Uh, Napoli Lazio is starting things off on Friday. It's a big game there. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see when. I mean, obviously Napoli gonna uh, are doing really well. Let's see what Lazio can do. Lazio have had some big games against big teams recently. Uh, looking also at the schedule, we had Fiorentina Milan is a big game. Uh, Atalanta Udinese could be very enticing there. Um, Roma Juventus, that's a game that could be interesting score. We saw the first time they played there, um, how that results went there. And then, uh, don't discount Torino Bologna. I'm gonna say that that should be okay. a quietly sneakily good game, but yeah, some big games coming up this uh, this weekend, and so obviously kicking things off on Friday. Thoughts on uh, Napoli seem to be getting a lot of Friday games lately, and I understand that for the Champions League, but it's just not, it's it's a it's unique scene. The top team in the league, just all by themselves to play for, you know, playing a game. So I, I like it. I like it. I don't hate the idea. It's actually interesting. Lazio are going to play Azad Alkmaar on Tuesday on the 7th. So that's part of it. Sure. And I yeah. don't know if there's some kind of scheduling thing going on where they have to do that. But that's going to be 1245 Eastern, 1145 uh, Central. Um, so that's. Uh, so that's worth mentioning, um, and that's probably part of why this game got put on Friday, also. But, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, making Napoli a spotlight game at this point is, is it makes all the sense, makes a lot of sense. Um, Milan and Fiorentina is very, very interesting. How do Milan cope with Leo out? Uh, be interesting to see what uh, Pioli conjures up for that game, uh, and then Roma and Juventus on Sunday. To your point, um, big game for both teams. Uh, Juventus, Juventus with a chance to, you know, further close the gap on the teams that are in front of them if they are going to claw back into into top four consideration, even with this penalty. I know you're nodding your head. I actually think it would be a heck of an achievement. For sure, um, I, I just think it's crazy. I just it think off. it's crazy that this could possibly happen. There's, yep. a, there's a better chance of Juventus making a top four than anybody else catching Napoli. Yep. So definitely much to get excited about. So hope you guys all enjoy the games coming up this weekend. Uh, we will put a bow on this edition of City I'll Sit Down. Uh, you can find me at FTC underscore 21. You can find Richard at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. City I'll Sit Down. We have our own channel on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. We also on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever this podcast there's City I'll Sit Down. Want to follow us on the socials at City I'll Sit Down is the handle on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, go check us out there. Please follow us. Um, followers help. Uh, and then also any questions, comments, any observations you're seeing that you think we should mention uh, on a future podcast, please uh, don't be afraid uh, to speak your voice. We don't we don't rip on people. Well, I, I do on my own personal page. I, I go after people, but that's about it. Uh, so uh, Richard, Richard's too nice to do that. I, <laughs> I, I had a word. I had a word for the Pioli out guys again last week after they beat Atalanta. So right um, I just said, yeah, you guys have been awfully quiet lately. Um, but anyway, also uh, Facebook, we have a page there. And then again, the, the website, uh, 
which uh, we will uh, start getting aggressive with uh, populating a little more content there as we go. So uh, check out everything on those fronts. And once again, here on the YouTube channel, drop a like, please. Uh, please subscribe um, and then hit that notification bell. Um, you know, chat. So that... Thank you, chat. You guys oh, are yeah. awesome, as always. What am I doing? I'm not acknowledging the chat. Chat, you guys have been beautiful. Thank you guys so much. Uh, so that does it for us, for Richard. I'm Frank, and as always, tell your paisans about us. Ciao.